All right, so I know that every single person in here is part of some relationship. The reality is most of us are in multiple relationships, right? You have different, and we've been using the term to describe our relationships, we've been using the term team. And so you have, you know, family relationships or family teams. You have your work team. You have friendship teams and so much more. And we're asking the questions, how do I be an ideal team player? I mean, how do I be a relational rock star when it comes to interacting with others? You know, at home, at work, in school, wherever I may be with my friends. And this is so important for you and I. Because Jesus said this, the world's going to know. Those outside of these walls are going to know that you and I are his disciples, that we're on his team by, first of all, how well we treat one another. And secondly, by how well we love those who are outside of the family of Christ. So that's why we're talking about this idea of relationship is so important and so critical to all of our lives. And we've said the key foundation for all relationships are these two critical words, value and respect. Value and respect. I'm going to highly value all people because they're made, created in the image of God. But I'm also, 1 Peter tells us, I'm going to respect everyone. So that means I'm going to probably have to work hard at appreciating the differences that are out there and even celebrate that. And and God wired us and created us different and uniquely. And so learning to respect those differences and, you know, even at times, you know, praising God and even with a chuckle and a laugh because that's the amazing part of God making us unique as individuals. Last week we said another key foundation stone is this idea of forgiveness And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says that Jesus forgave us all of our sins, that he canceled the record of charges against us. He took it away and he nailed it on the cross. It's something we just worship God with through song and through communion. And you know, one of the things that communion can do for us is as we come before God in that moment and we embrace God's forgiveness of us, that then that enables us to then forgive others. The Bible tells us, Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another just as God through Christ forgave you. And so forgiveness means you and I are, you know, if we've been hurt, if we've been wronged, if we've been offended, we entrust ourselves to God, right? We we go to God and and we pray. We leave room for God to work in the circumstance or the situation, and then the best action step we can take is demonstrate kindness you want to forgive others you demonstrate kindness over and over and over and then God God uses that to help us in the forgiveness process today we're talking about another key building block and that's the building block of service ideal team players relational rock stars are people who serve others in fact, one of our values, one of our core values, one of the things that's most important to us here at LifePoint, if we're going to experience life to the fullest, real and better life than we could ever imagine outside of Jesus Christ, you want to have that relationship with Christ that we serve others. And it doesn't matter what your environment is. It can be in, a, in your work environment. Jim Collins writes the book Good to Great, and he talks about not just good companies, but great companies, and what's one of the marks of great companies, and how they've lasted, and how they survived, and and what he discovered is great companies have a certain type of leader, what he called a level five leader, and a level five leader is somebody who humbly serves others. 
that they don't have to be in the limelight, they don't have to be all flash in the pants, so to speak, that they are people who behind the scenes, they humbly serve others. So in your work environment, you can serve your employees or serve your employer or serve others in the environment. At home, you can serve your spouse. You can serve your children. There's so many areas that we can serve others. If you want to be that best employee, the best spouse, the best friend, you take on an attitude of service. You know, we've been going to Mexico on our spring mission trip now for about 13, 14 years. And one person has such an incredible passion and such a credible vision for service that it's enabled us each and every year to just have a phenomenal experience. And that's Don Souza. And she, she leads this trip. She has a vision for this trip. And it all flows out of her desire to serve. And as I'm looking around and I'm seeing heads nod, that's because literally hundreds of, hundreds of people here have been influenced by Don's service of you, right? You've experienced her service to you. It's my great hope and my great desire that the relational atmosphere, the relational culture of our church, that it be dominated by a spirit of service. Now, I think that's best illustrated for you and I in the Bible, and I think it's best illustrated in Philippians chapter 2. And so if you haven't turned there yet, go to Philippians chapter 2. Paul's going to show you and I, here's what a relational rock star looks like. Here's what an ideal team player looks like. And he's going to then go on through the remainder of the chapter, and he's going to illustrate what that, he's going to talk about it, then he's going to illustrate it with four different people's lives. So that's what we're going to run through this morning. So, a relational rock star, an ideal team player is somebody who serves. And what does that mean to serve? It means we look out for the interest of others. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. It's really our theme verse, if, if you will, for the morning. And it says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of who? To the interest of others. Paul says an ideal team player, as a relational rock star, that each of you, you don't only look out for your, you know, your own financial affairs or your own property, your own family or your own health or your own success or your own reputation or education or even your own happiness. We don't just figure out ways and strategize on how we can get ahead, but we think about others, about their financial affairs, about who they are, about their family, about their health, about their reputation, their education, their well-being, and yes, even their happiness. Paul understood something. God understands something, that the main barrier to the development of a servant heart in any relationship is self-centeredness. Would you agree with that? This desire to look out for our own interests. It's why Scripture talks over and over and over about us focusing less on self and our own interests and care about the interest of others. Philippians chapter 2 verse 4 is really just Paul's way of saying what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 22 verse 39 to love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, God's saying, I want you to be an incredible relationship, rock star, ideal team player, and the way you do that 
is you're going to think about the good of other people's interests. In fact, you're going to put it above yourself, and you're going to strategize towards that, and you're going to work towards that, and you're going to find your joy in making other people joyful. That's why I think of Dawn, because her joy is in serving us, and when she sees us excited on our trips, man, she gets excited, but it's all out of her serving. I want to ask you the question, when and where? When and where? When and where are you most self-centered? I want you to begin to think about that. When and where are you most self-centered? Is it maybe in an area of your life where, for example, maybe for you, it's hard to think about the interests of others when it comes to something that you know you're absolutely right about. And in that time, the idea of looking out to others' interests, that, that's just not going to happen for you. Like, that, that's hard for you to, to, to think of others. It's a bar- your self-centeredness and your opinion, your need to be right, whatever, is your main barrier. What else? Maybe your when or your where is at work. You have no problem being selfless at home, but at work, man, self-centeredness reigns. Or at home, when and where. I, I have to tell you, I'm a colossal failure at putting other people's interest at certain times of day. When and where? When and where? For me, once I hit about 8.30 or 9 p.m., selfish rules. Does anybody relate to that? You hit a certain time of day, right? Some of you, it's the morning, right? Some of you, it's the when and where. When and where? For me, I just know this is a silly example, but it helps me think about this when and where idea because for me, once I get home, I mean, I just go, 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 and then all of a sudden when I kind of hit that point, it's like, all right, I have to wind down. And I just need to go back about an hour or so in my recliner and just chill and and relax a little bit. But what I have discovered is God has a sense of humor. And the time that most people want to interact with me and talk with me and call me and text me and want me to read to them or do their homework with them is at 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. I'm like, really? You have the rest of the time, the rest of the day, and now you want this time? When and where do you find that it's most difficult for you to be selfless? When and where are you most self-centered? An ideal team player begins to recognize that. You begin to recognize those points, those triggers, those times, those places where you find that, man, it's difficult to look out for the other's interest. That's what God's called us to. When and where do you have a tendency to be most self-centered? God is challenging you this morning in those times that you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Secondly, what does it mean to serve? It means we'll treat others as more significant. Another translation says more important as yourself. What am I talking about? Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, this is talking about service. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Here's the word, value others above yourselves. What does that mean to value others above ourselves? Well, I like how one translation said it. It simply says, help others get ahead. You see, valuing others above ourselves isn't just something that we think about. It's actually action-based, that we help others get ahead. Another translation says, treat others as more important. Now, that's against our natural inclination because, again, the main barrier to the development of a servant heart is self-centeredness. But God calls us to value others. 
And that valuing of others that this verse says, in humility, value others above ourselves. Valuing others is not based on circumstances. It's not based on if. I will value them if they do this, if they treat me this way. If is a terrible criteria by which to look at this verse. In fact, we even said a few weeks ago, remember the key foundation block is respect. Respect everyone. There is no if. So, will I serve my boss? Will I serve my employees, my coworkers, my spouse, my friends, my family? Will I look not only to my own interest, but will I look to the interests of others? Will I encourage them? Will I help them get ahead? Now, how do we get there? I mean, that's a tall order by God, that he's calling us to this type of self-sacrifice and and the selfless spirit and attitude. How do we get ourselves to have an others-oriented commitment that flows out of our life? Look at verse 3 again. I think it tells us. Philippians 2, verse 3, it says this, Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit, rather in what? In, let's say the word together, in humility. Valuing others above ourselves comes from humility. It's the opposite, humility is the opposite of entitlement. Humility is the opposite of you owe me. You owe me. In fact, Romans chapter 1, I love how Paul said it. He said this in Romans 1 verse 14. He said, I am obligated both to Jews and or to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't owe you. Paul's saying, or Paul's saying, you don't owe me. Paul's saying, I owe you. See, that's humility. To which I'm like, why? Why would you do that? Why would I, why would you as a Jesus follower feel this humble sense of owing service to people? Because that's what Paul's talking about. How do we get there? Well, the answer is found in what Jesus did on the cross. And it's one of the reasons we gather together and celebrate communion every week as a church. Because we're giving you the opportunity You can let the tray pass if you want, but we're giving you the opportunity to have maybe even be the very center of your worship experience to remember that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross for your sins and my sins, that he forgave us of our sins and he accepted us and he justified us and he gave us eternal life when he didn't owe us anything and yet he chose to give us everything. Man, communion. It's an opportunity. That time you take the elements is for you to remember how much you have been forgiven. That God would do that for you. Luke chapter 22 says this. Verse 27, it's, Jesus says, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? It's a simple question. It's an easy answer. Who's greater, the one who's at the table or the servant who's walking around carrying the trays? We know who's greater. Simple answer, right? The one at the table, right? The king, the leader, the whatever. You know, the servant, they're not greater. Jesus says, I want to change all that. I want to rock everybody's world. So Jesus says, but I am among you as one who serves. I'm one among you who's going to give everything. I'm going to give everything. I'm obligated to give everything. And Jesus, the famous passage that Jesus demonstrates this is John chapter 13 where Jesus gets down and he washes his, servant, his disciples' feet. He does the job of a humble servant. 
And then he said in John 13, verse 15, I've set an example that you should do as I have done. See, that's where humility comes from. You and I would be overwhelmed by God's grace. Since you and I have been served by Almighty God himself, that man, we're going to be an ideal team player now. We're going to go freely serve others. Using Paul's language in Roman chapter 1, you and I are obligated to serve others as Jesus' followers. So, the crucial relational mark of the culture of life point. My hope, my prayer is Rome, Philippians 2.4. Let each of us look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. That's our mindset. That's our action. Now Paul's going to go on and he's going to describe it. He's going to illustrate it, I mean. And he's going to show us, okay, let me give you some pictures. Let me paint what that looks like. What that attitude of looking to others' interests looks like. And he's going to start, first of all, with the ideal team player. And he says, let me show you the first one, most important one, and that'd be Jesus himself. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, this is the next little section of scriptures, one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. And Paul says this about Jesus. He starts off, verse 5, he says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider, and I want you to notice the word, what it says. Jesus did not consider, what's the word? Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Here's God. I'm even going to set that aside. Rather, notice the next verse. He made himself empty, or he made himself nothing, which means literally he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant. That's what it means to look out for the interest of others. It's not just a mental exercise. It's action. He took the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, and here's our word again, he humbled himself, which means he set all his legitimate claims and entitlements of God aside, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Listen, when you, when I, when we struggle with humility or self-denial, when we struggle with serving, especially serving those who, you know, are hard to serve or hard to love. Man, God wants us to come back to this, this picture of what Jesus has done for us. He is our great example of looking to the interests of others. Now, here's what's incredible. And God says, I, I want to tell you how important this is and how much I value serving others. Look at verse 9. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will come a day in the end of time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And the most important decision is the decision you make before you die that you would declare that, state that, that it would come from your heart before you die. You don't want getting up there at that moment be the first time you declare Jesus is Lord. You want that now, that I surrender to you, Jesus, because of what you've done for me. God exalted Jesus. The Bible talks about this. Matthew 23, 12, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, humility now, but glory later. God rewards those who are faithful. And God will reward you for your humble service. Paul, God goes on, or, or Paul goes on, he says, okay, there's Jesus. There's a great, incredible picture. We could talk about that all day long of what it means to humble yourself and be a servant. Then Paul says, oh, let me tell you real quickly about myself and how I've humbly served. 
Verse 17, Paul says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. He said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm glad about it. So too, you should be glad and rejoice with me. You couple that with Paul's language in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says this, talking about his service. He says, I die every day for you. Paul was comparing his life to a drink offering that was poured out on the sacrifice of their faith. In other words, he didn't think about and dwell on just what mattered to him and his own interests. He took, he looked at saying, I'm going to be a faithful servant and I'm going to think about others' interests. I'm going to die to myself. That's service. Paul goes on, he gives us another picture of an ideal team player, and that's Timothy. That's Timothy. I I love these words here. I I hope you'll agree. Look at verse 19, Philippians chapter 2. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest. Did everybody just catch that verse? Does that ring a bell? Didn't we just look at that in verse 4? It's literally the same words. Paul, remember he said, don't look out for your own interest. Right here, he's saying, everybody looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has, and what's the word? He has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul says, everybody's worrying about their own plans, their own issues, their own self-interest. They're not thinking about God's plans, God's will. Everybody except Timothy. I mean, Timothy, he is focused on God's will. He is focused on God's plan for his life and for others' life, which means Timothy is focused on others. God's will is that we turn our heart to others, that we focus on the interest of others. So an ideal team player, you're going to say, you know, it's time to change my focus. My natural bent, my natural inclination is to focus on myself. We have to learn to take that step. 1 Corinthians 10.21 says, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. How many times have, have I, have you missed an opportunity because we were focused on our own interest rather than the interest of others? And we had, an, we had an opportunity right before us, and God gave us the opportunity to be a blessing, to help somebody. That's why I ask you, when and where are you most self-centered? We need to know that. We need to recognize that because God wants to use you. He wants you to, have, you to have that heart and that spirit, which I love how it's said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. In another translation, it says this, don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That's what God calls us to. Just forget ourselves just long enough so we can help others and be a blessing to others. It's truly one of my prayers. It's one of my greatest prayers for us here at LifePoint. I hope you join me and that you would pray that God, that we will pursue this servant attitude that we want the relational culture of life point to, to forget about ourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. The final example of an ideal team player is Epaphroditus. I want you to notice in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. 
He says, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. He had been sent to them uh, on the Philippians' behalf to take care of Paul, who was, kind of, who was sick. Send you back my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed. Why is Epaphroditus distressed? Because you heard he was ill. I don't know if you just caught that there. He's not distressed because he's sick. He's not distressed because he's ill. He's not distressed because of what's happening to him. He's distressed because he finds out other people are worried about him. And that just, that's, that, that's affecting him, that he is so selfless that he doesn't want others worrying about him. That his concern to be an ideal team player is to put the interests of others first and foremost. I think back to Easter. And here at Easter, we try some. We're always experimenting. I mean, we kind of try doing that with communion, you know, with coming up and down the aisles. We're always experimenting with different, you know, different, different steps or different things. And so at Easter, if you remember, we tried to have a, a, a venue upstairs where we did the, raise your hand if you remember that, where we had the upstairs at Easter, right? Um, okay, put them down. Uh, um, raise your hand if you thought, no, I, I won't ask the next question. So we tried, we tried an experiment, and we wanted to have live down here because we were going to have the services all at the same time, and we just kind of knew it would be packed, and it packed, and it filled, and it filled, and it filled, and then there was standing room only, and it was crazy, and it was awesome, but it was also kind of crazy, and so we did all that. Well, how'd that happen? How did we even provide that video venue where it could be live and get all that up there? Well, Mike Ross worked his tail off for weeks. He'd come down here every day. He'd research. There was others who were involved, Lino and some other staff members. But Mike, day in, day out, was trying to figure out, first of all, how we do it. There's a whole technology thing. And, and then what do we need to make it happen? And how do we make it so there's not, like, lip syncing going on? And, you know, how, how do you do all that? Mike just poured into that. And I remember one day asking him, I was like, man, Mike, I th- I'm so grateful for your service to LifePoint, that you're thinking about us and and man, like, how are you able to come down here so much? And I don't remember his exact words, but what I remember him essentially saying was, you know, he was happy to serve us, and he, was, he basically had the attitude of, you know, I'm kind of just hoping I don't get any clients right now. And I heard that, and I thought, how many people wish, if you're a sales guy, how many people wish that no one, you won't sell to anybody for a season? And it blew me away. It just struck me. I was like, oh my goodness. There's an attitude of somebody who says, I'm going to put my own interests aside for the interests of others and to be a blessing to others. And that was Epaphroditus. He was like, I don't care about myself. I only care about others. I don't care that I'm sick. I don't even want you worrying that I'm sick. And so Paul went on in verse 29 and he said this. He said, so then, talking about Epaphroditus, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. And I love this word. And what do you do to him? And you, let's say it together, and you, let's say it again, and you, one more time, and you, you honor people like him. You honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves were not able to give. I mean, God is calling you and I to honor people who are servants. Man, I just, every time I think about LifePoint and I think about so many of you who so faithfully serve God, and whether you serve God here at church, 
whether you serve God behind the scenes, whether you're serving your family or your spouse or at work, there, I, when I begin to think of you and those of you who I know or I know some of your stories, I just, it's like I just want to honor you because of your service for the Lord. I, I was thinking about a, a few different people that just popped into my mind because I didn't want to get into a long list, you know, and list off, you know, like, the, you know, it's the Emmys Awards or something. Uh, but just, like, I was thinking about literally the first name that popped in my m- mind was Tammy Saylor. And I thought about Tammy, and I was like, you know what? Tammy comes down here for the last couple of years, and it has been her focus to make VBS for our children during the summer to be the most incredible week of their life. And she works for months and months and months behind the scenes to make that happen. And Darla has empowered her to lead that and to move that forward and does an incredible job. And then I, I was thinking about VBS, immediately Winnie Briggs and Christy Pepsney came to mind. And those two come down for months and they prepare these sets that are phenomenal the last couple of years. And so many others who are a part of that ministry, who serve, who cook, who bake, who come down during the week over and over, they just serve God. I think about people in kids' point mini- or kids ministry who, you know, they're there serving faithfully for 15 years. I think about some of you, those silent givers, those financial givers who you just, you just hey, we want to give this to the church and use it as God sees fit to move forward the kingdom. Makes me think about everybody here who faithfully serves by giving your dollars so that we can do the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ so that we can make disciples. And my heart just goes out and it's like I want to honor, honor, honor people. What about you? Will you have that spirit of honor to others? Those around you to say thank you, thank you. And will you allow that to inspire you? Ideal players, team players, relational rock stars. Man, they serve others. They put the interest of others above themselves. It was beautifully sh- uh, shown us when Jesus put our interests above his, you know, his you know, rights, and he died for us. Paul, he suffered every day to plant churches so you and I could have the gospel. Timothy served side by side with Paul. He always just put ever the people's interests above himself. Epaphroditus, he risked his life to complete the service that he'd been called to do. What about you? You ready to be an ideal team player? You ready to be that relational rock star where you will serve others at home, at school, at work? Maybe you're in your friendships. And yes, even at church. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, and notice this passage, according to the proper working of each individual part, which causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's a powerful passage. I wish I could take time to explain it. But each part doing their part, serving others. The text there is telling you and I that there's no such thing as a spectator Jesus follower. There's no such thing as a spectator disciple or Christian. That we're called by God to serve one another. 
And a great place to serve one another is to serve in the body of Christ, but then also to serve outside of these walls in your place of work, home, wherever you may be. But we never want to neglect that service in the body of Christ. In a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to continue our worship. And when we continue our worship, it is not we're finishing early and then you head home. Your worship, part of your worship experience is to go this morning to put the interest of others above yourself. We've set some, uh, an area up out front and to lure you in, you're going to have root beer floats, okay? So you can go get those and we'll suck you in. And as a few people leave, they are leaving not to go home. They're leaving to go get set up out there, so don't panic there. As they're going to do that, we're going to give you an opportunity to continue your worship and get some opportunities to connect with others to set aside your own personal interests. I'm not just going to walk, walk to my car. I'm going to go greet people. I'm going to go talk to people. I'm going to go say hi to people. I'm going to pray and walk around and see how God stirs my heart. Maybe God's calling me to get involved and serve others in my church. Maybe God's calling me to serve others by just getting connected with other people because I just haven't done that because all my interests have been on myself. We're going to continue our worship. Our worship isn't walk away and go home. Our worship is to walk out and gather and share together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you just make it clear to us, God. Relational rock stars, ideal team players have this incredible heart of service, this desire to set aside our own interests and to Think about the interests of others and be a blessing to others to set ourselves aside enough to lend a helping hand. And God, when we do that in the church, we know that that type of service has eternal rewards beyond what we can imagine today. So God, would you move in each heart today as we continue our worship of you? God, that you would speak to us, that you would even use us as we be a blessing to one another. And even show us, God, what our next step of service and connection can look like with others. God, speak through these next moments to each and every heart today. In Jesus' name, amen.